Welcome to Cube and Chaos. Spend some time with us, enjoying old cars and new, whether they are weak or powerful. Hey everyone, what's up? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Cube and Chaos. I'm Max. And I'm Jacob. And today we are joined by Snow Schwartz, uh, aka Kyle, streamer and also a trophy grinder on Magic Online, trophy leader too for quite a while in the Vintage Cube League. Pretty impressive stuff. How many trophies did you end up finishing with, Kyle? It's like 20 something? Only 20. Only 20. Oh, and, I, I, <laughs> and I prefer trophy achiever to trophy grinder. Grinder has this negative sense to it. I feel like achiever sounds really positive. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. It was only up for two weeks, right? So more than a trophy a day. Right. Well, what's funny is that I think I got my first. 10 or 12 trophies in the first in the first two or three days and then real life interjected and i wasn't able to play cube as much yeah that's definitely a pretty relatable feeling i've had like chaos draft come online um for my birthday before and i'll just set aside everything to just do like a day or two of chaos draft and then real life responsibilities return yeah so that um, people might get to know you a little bit better. We have talked about um, our own signature spell books on this podcast. We talked about mine, for example. So you already told us that uh, yours contains cards from the Vintage Cube. So I think it would be pretty cool to go over that list and get a feel for what you like in in the Vintage Cube. Sure. And uh, yeah, you did say it, but I'll I'll just repeat it. Uh, I am a small streamer. I've recently started streaming. Uh, my handle is Snowschwartz. That's my just my middle and last name. My full name is Kyle Snowschwartz with an S C and a Z at the end. We will link that for sure. Uh, so come come say hi. But yeah, my signature spell book. I thought that I would uh, make them all cards from the Vintage Cube, and in fact, they probably just all are from the Vintage Cube, even if they're not in the Vintage Cube. Um, <laughs> I'll start with the. With the most obvious and enjoyable card, probably the best card, everyone's favorite card, Time Walk. Of course, it's got to be Time Walk. There's, there's nothing more fun than taking the, your turn in Magic, right? Your turn is the best part of the game. Your opponent's turn is like, oh, when's my turn coming up? <laughs> time Walk just makes your turn longer and better. So it's like the perfect, the perfect card. So you said it's the best card. Do you think... Actually, think it's the strongest uh, pick one, pick one, or that's a good question. Um, if you're trying to win games of Magic, you could do a lot worse than pack one, pick oneing time wash. Sure, but if you're if you're opening a if you are playing the Magic Online Championships that we will talk a tiny bit later right. about, and <laughs> your pick one, pick one is between Time Walk and Sol Ring, what are you taking? Uh, why why would you have to pose such a question? All right, so it means, it means that it's very easy in a, in a normal draft, right? You would always take the time walk. Yes, yes. Because you like it more. Great. Yes. That's nice here. I so they are at least close. It is close. I think, I think it's, it's, it's probably not objectively close. It's like, you know, if you're objectively trying to win the most uh, trophies and every single pack, pack one, pick one, you could pick a time walk or a soul ring every time. You'd probably just start, you'd probably just pick the soul ring. Yeah, I think you make a good point about like how fun the card is. Like, it's true that you know Storm, which is widely considered one of the most fun decks in the cube. Like, that deck is all about what you do on your turn. Um, after like 
not doing anything for a bunch of turns, you take a turn that's like longer than sometimes the entire rest of the game. So I think taking extra turns, like that's a really fun thing to do. Yeah. So I'll switch gears uh, for for the next card. This this might seem a little incongruous, but wait until I get to the rest of the cards here. My next card in my spell book is Skull Clamp. That's a sweet one. Well, I can see that. It's not it's not your typical time walk, you know, it's like, oh time walk, what are you gonna pick? Oh, Snapcaster Mage or or mm-hmm. whatever, but no. Skull clamp, there's something that just feels really good about that turn one skull clamp, and then you just start clamping away your dorks and drawing lots of cards. And it's oh, like, yeah. oh, these these superfluous little dorks become mm-hmm. more and more, you know, spells in my arsenal for the rest of the game. For sure. It's actually a card I've seen um Benny Hills, another uh, Magic Online trophy leader, or sorry, trophy achiever. Um, <laughs> um, he takes the card much more highly than I would, which, I mean, I like the card quite a bit, but just like you, um, he really values it. And I can uh, see, especially in like monocolor decks, like red, green, and white, uh, you just have so many X ones that uh, are not very relevant late in the game, and they're just great to cash in for more relevant, more impactful cards. It's super interesting as a card because I think people are really evaluating it wildly differently. And I've seen it wheel or seen like with six cards left in the pack multiple times this cube season. So yeah. where do you start to think, oh, that's a late skull clamp? Uh, I mean, a pack, I think a pick five skull clamp or a pick six skull clamp is a pretty late skull clamp. I think yeah. I, what I really like about cards like skull clamp in vintage cube is that they give your deck and and drafting strategy focus and a plan once you have a skull clamp in your picks it makes the rest of your picks honestly kind of easy it's like oh do i take this card or this card this one works with skull clamp so i'll take that one yeah and, and that, I would add that, to that focus is great it does not only um give it a focus but it also gives it an identity it's one of those cards that in one card makes an archetype, basically. Yes, like that, exactly. that It's one of those cards that makes Vintage Cube feel like one of those formats with so many possibilities. People really like stuff like Volcanic Island, Scalding Tarn, like that kind of thing. Are you taking Skull Clamp over cards like those? I would take it over a Lesser Fetch, for sure. I would take it over a Windswept Teeth, I think, <laughs> or, or uh, something along those lines. I would probably take it over... Uh, something, a card that is really good, but high on the curve, something like uh, Thundermaw Hellkite, um, a card that is probably underdrafted or drafted at a lower rank than its than its uh, value. You know, the typical game of Magic in which you cast a Thundermaw Hellkite is kind of a game of Magic you often win, frankly. So people draft it a little bit too low. But I would take it over a card like that just because it's colorless. It's slow to the curve. You get to draft all these dorks and have a game plan. Um, you end up with enough five drops usually anyway. Right. I agree with all those things. Like the last thing um, I think I'll say about it is it's really not um, an effect that has any kind of redundancy. Like it's not really something you can replace. On to my third, on to my third spell. I think that I'm trying to decide the order here. Um, I think... I'll, I'll just go with my, like, basically my favorite card just aesthetically in the Vintage Cube and also works pretty well with the aforementioned cards. 
is um, Baleful Strix. I love Baleful Strix. That owl, that dark, creepy owl, robot owl, or whatever it is, it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying to play. It's like, turn two Baleful Strix. You're just like, turn one Skull Clamp, turn two Baleful Strix. You're just like, your opponent is just like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a a nice card, but it's not a very high pick, or is it for you? Somewhere mid-pack, probably. In in this particular cube iteration, it's not as high of a pick as it's been in past cube iterations because I think blue black has turned out a bit weaker in this iteration of the vintage cube as an archetype, and so it's a little bit lower on my on my usual on my pick order. Not that I actually have a pick order; I kind of just draft what I think is open and what I feel like playing. But yeah, um, I love Baleful Strix. I love the art on Baleful Strix. I love that it blocks Emrakul. I love that that it just cantrips. It's just so, it's just such a satisfying little dork. And it works great with Skull Clamp. It does. Yeah. When you first said a card that works well with the previous cards, I was like, okay, Time Walk and um, Skull Clamp, is it going to be Snapcaster or Ewit? But no, I mean, Strix is certainly good. And I agree too about um, Blue Black not being as good this time around. I think a lot of that is because uh, the blue-based control decks really incentivize you to go white uh, for cards like Teferi and Fractured Identity. Um, but yeah, Strix is still quite the card if you are uh, interested in blue-black. The Planeswalker selection is another reason why I think blue-black is a little bit less strong than, than in previous iterations of the cube. In previous iterations, I think, of Vintage Cube have seen Planeswalkers like uh, Big Ashiok, and I'm forgetting the name of that 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 black mono black planeswalker that you know kills creatures and draw car- draws cards arena you know arena obnixilus reignited yeah obnixilus so those those planeswalkers are not in the cube um, and the planeswalkers the blue black planeswalkers I mean other than small Ashiok which is probably my least favorite card to play against <laughs> might be I, I'd prefer to play against Oko than than Ashiok, personally. That's crazy. I know that people are going to think that's crazy, but this there's something about Oko. At least Oko, you have to you have to you have to do things with Oko. You have to you have to choose are you gonna make a clue? Or are you gonna turn someone else's <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you gonna turn someone else's grizzle brand into a, into an elk? Are you going to turn your own you know mana vault into an elk? At least those are choices. With Ashiok, it's just uptick, uptick. Uptick, uptick, you lose. Was that? Yes, was that that's how it goes. Yeah, those three mana planeswalkers with plus twos, they'll get you. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting idea. I don't know. I guess that gives people more potential to misplay with Oko since they have more decisions. Um, yeah. The biggest misplay with Ashiok is when it's, you know, your only other choice, which is to down tick for a creature, is when you decide to like not down tick for a creature because you think you're going to win with deck damage when in fact you're clearly not going to win with deck damage. That's that's the only mistake you can make with Ashiok, really. Um, or forget to activate it, I guess. <laughs> that's a mistake. Yeah, or forget. Great. Number four. So number four, um, uh, you actually named the card. Number four would be Eternal Witness. Oh yes. Obviously. <laughs> It works perfectly with all of the, the the previous cards. You 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 buy back your time walk. You clamp it for value. You get more cards from it. Eternal Witness just is a beautiful card that I love to put 
in any deck that can cast it, honestly. Like every deck that can cast an Eternal Witness, you know, easily is a deck that should contain Eternal Witness. It's just a great card, always. I also really like yeah. the card. It is a card that so nicely scales with the power level environment it's in, because obviously the stronger the cards are around it, the better it is to return them to hand. And right. the body is just a nice advantage. Sometimes can make it broken, but like it's just such a nice card design. I really love it. Good point. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. And I think it's important to note that it does scale really well with the power level of the format, but it's never broken, right? Which means you can put it into like a random limited environment. You can have it in Commander. You can have it in Vintage Cube. And it's going to be like a really solid performer in all those formats. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that. It It's only as valuable as the cards in your deck or the, the cards in the format. Which make it which make it a perfect addition to to pretty much any format and, and yeah. any deck that can cast it. And it's just fun also to play. So it's it's a, it's a fantastic card. Those games where you're like, oh, I just need to get my fourth land drop, and you're able to buy back a fetch from Eternal Witness, and you're just like, yes, Eternal Witness. Why are you so versatile? It yeah. feels good. Sure. Yeah, I guess we don't see too many um, effects like that nowadays. Like they're you know hesitant to even give us. Uh, like a regrowth kind of effect without some kind of uh, condition or drawback, like can only target permanent cards or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think the worst actually when it exiles itself, it just makes every dream immediately dead. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I wanted to loop this. Yeah, loops are always fun. Is a grave digger effectively, so not too hard to do stuff with that. I think I think you guys are reading my mind because I bet you can guess my last card. A recurring nightmare. Yeah, obviously it's recurring nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously it's recurring nightmare. It's the perfect card with all the all the previous cards. You play your time walk. You play your Strix. You play your Eternal Witness. You have your Skull. You just you, you get your creatures in the yard. You take infinite turns. You draw infinite cards. It's like yes, recurring nightmare. Nailed yeah, it. Sweet card. The permanent that's never in play. <laughs> I played against Marshall um, on the last day of Cube, and he was playing some kind of recurring nightmare deck, and he just ran it out. He just ran out a recurring nightmare on like turn four. He was like, he he prepared. I I mean, I, to be fair, I was playing five color, uh, you know, Omnath. I was playing Niv Mizzet, Omnath, Green Sun Zenith, ridiculousness because it was the last day of Cube. I wasn't I wasn't trophy achieving anymore. Just trying to do crazy stuff. And I was just like. No, man, you don't do that. I'm just going to Maelstrom Pulse it. Definitely an interesting choice. I mean, the card, like, I really like the card. It's super fun. One of my gripes, though, just playing against it, is it's so tough to interact with. And yeah, I mean, I'd be excited to have a chance to destroy it like that, too. The deck was actually, uh, my deck was actually really sweet. I was really happy with my deck. I had, like, lots of fixing. I had this weird, like, Green Sun Zenith, which got, which gets niv and Omnath, which I was just like, that's awesome. That's a that's a great way to cheat out these cards. Um, like really it had lots. One of the one of the problems with the Niv Mizzet decks in this iteration of the cube was that there weren't enough. Like you needed the fixing and you needed the two color cards. Yep. And if you were right. prioritizing one, there wasn't enough of the other to really flesh out the deck and make it hum. But I actually mm -hmm. I actually think that I got it in this last draft of the cube 
season. I won game one very e- <laughs> kind of easily, but I don't know if he retooled for the for the matchup, but in game two, he like mind twisted me after I had played my Niv-Mizzet and filled up my hand with all these goodies. And he was just like, mind twist you, you know, treachery your Niv-Mizzet, you lose. I'm like, hmm, that's no good. <laughs> and then he, he, did, he did sort of the same thing in game three, but it was it was even it was even trickier. He he played Narset Wheel of Fortune after I played my Niv Mizzet. So I was like, get all these sweet cards. Narset Wheel of Fortune make you discard your your oh. entire hand. I'm like, wow. Oh. And then there's all the airlift. Yeah, I'm like Marshall. <laughs> come on, man. Just trying to have a little fun. I don't know. It seems to me like it'd be so tough to make like the Omnath deck or like the Niv Mizzet deck work. Um, like I would assume that you'd be able to wheel. Like if you're taking fixing really highly, I would assume some of the like um, multicolored cards come around if you're trying to build the Niv deck. But it just seems so tough to pick up like all the fixing you need to like, as you put it, make the deck hum. I actually think Omnath is pretty strong. Like you can get it very late because you need to have the fixing, obviously. But the fixing also means you have to fetch lands, and once you start making mana with Omnath, it's a it's a very strong card in the cube. I've seen a lot of people um, take a shine to it lately cool to because i was definitely skeptical um to see it included maybe next week we can talk about um some of the new inclusions to the cube um i was skeptical to see it entered into the list i was like well I mean, this is something that maybe i'll try once just for fun but it really seems like it has a high fail rate which is a big turnoff for me i think i think overall the changes were really good changes i think they made for a more cohesive cube yeah there were some Let's see, at least two of the cards on the list of the of the switch outs became, if not pack one, pick ones, because that's usually reserved for, for power, if possible. You know, pick twos or pick threes, which is really exciting to have cards come in that become really high picks for you. Instant staples, yeah. So what are those cards? I think the, the first at the top here goes into my... My winning it, my winningest deck archetype overall, uh, and the card is Skyclave Apparition. That white, oh, yeah. one white white two drop that exiles a permanent of power four or less um, is just a great addition to any white deck. Uh, I I had the I think the best overall win percentage with mono white as an archetype or mono white you know splashing blue for time walk obviously. <laughs> yeah. And Skyclave Apparition, yeah. when I was drafting that deck, became one of my top picks for that deck. Um, yeah, the card is also super sweet. Like, the way it plays out is you think, oh, it's like a medium answer to anything. And then the first time you see it hit the battlefield, it, it exiles your, I don't know, like... Chandra. Mana Vault. <laughs> or, yeah, or Chandra, I don't know, like, whatever. Like, anything, and you think, oh, now, if I kill it, what am I getting back? Just the blue vanilla creature. And that is always such a drastic downgrade in Vintage Cube that, uh, like, I don't know, it feels borderline broken, even though it looks very innocent first glance. Totally. I, I believe it's making waves in, um, like, non-limited formats as well. Uh, like, I'm not an expert on Constructed, but I think at least um, Standard it's seeing play potentially modern too i know it's got quite the price tag so um i mean it might look innocuous but <laughs> i think there are plenty of places where kind of like eternal witness it's doing pretty strong things yeah 
Yeah, more of those white cards for uh, for saving white, please. <laughs> and the, it really—it's yeah. also one of those cards again that scales with the power level of the format. It's fantastic. It's a little bit—it's a little bit less like Eternal Witness in that. Uh, what was I? What was I thinking? I mean, it does—it does scale with the power power level of the format. It's like it always it always exiles a card that matters, um, which which yeah. is it's just super strong. Just a three drop that just scales with you know if if you, if a vintage cube your opponent didn't play a permanent by turn four you're usually pretty happy so <laughs> uh, yeah even storm needs to have their mana rocks and yeah and the card it replaces fairgrounds warden fairgrounds warden was one of the lowest cards on my pick order for mono white because it's so easy oh, yeah. so easy to interact with and you you don't ever know if they're going to even have a creature worth taking skyclave apparition because it takes it takes artifacts it takes it takes enchantments it's just permanent right non-land permanent non-land permanent yeah, it takes yeah. enchantments it takes get those planeswalkers out planeswalkers, of planeswalkers it's just like <laughs> so ashiaku ashiaku it's like a little it's like a little um council's judgment on a stick <laughs> yeah great so yeah skyclave apparition yeah. was a great great addition um to the cube I agree, Miles, um, above Fairgrounds Warden. Uh, I play a lot of Mono White, too. This time I didn't play uh, too much. Only got a few trophies with it, but <laughs> didn't play any other archetype. Um, and yeah, I mean, Fairgrounds Warden, that's another card where it's like, doesn't even have two power. Like, you're really not incentivized to put it in your deck. Um, but the Apparition, yeah, I agree, good overperformer. What do you think about the addition of the Thieving Skydiver? I think Sk Thieving Skydiver... It, it it became one of the cards uh, when when the cube first came out. It was one of the cards that people weren't taking, and I figured out early that they weren't taking it. And so I just had this awesome card that's probably like a fifth or sixth pick card in the cube, wheeling every time. And I, it, it made yeah. it was so good to get a card like Thieving Skydiver, ninth, tenth, eleventh pick. Um, I love I I love the card. It's really strong. Have you ever stolen Skyclamp with it? You know, it's <laughs> it's actually funny. I never got to steal um, a sword. I never got to steal a, an equipment with it. Boy, stealing stealing the the Skyclamp with it feels so That's good. That's so dirty. Oh my god. Skyclamper, yuck. Um, I actually think, uh, and I was noticing this when I uh, originally read the card, maybe closer than I needed to for um, Zendikar Rising. That it was designed, I'm almost certain, with vintage in mind, right? because it says X can't be zero, but if you pay at least one, right, it's X or less. So the point is, you yeah. can steal zeros, but you have to pay mana to do it. And to me, that seemed like the idea was uh, you don't have suddenly a new instant staple in vintage, not vintage cube, um, where you just play two mana, steal your mocks. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of vintage cube, mana steal your mox or soul ring or whatever still definitely a very very strong yeah card. if x could have been zero it, it might have been uh, a little too busted yeah they really um, hit some home runs with the with the design of these last last set with it well it's just it's just all zendikar rising right so it didn't prevent me from trying it though I, I the first time i cast it i'm pretty sure i was like i'm gonna steal that mox and i'm gonna pay x x is gonna be zero and it's gonna be great and i was like wait a minute Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wait till next turn to steal that mox. Fine. Right. Um, so on the other hand, 
Are there any changes you really disliked or disagreed with? Uh, anything like that? Well, I, let me, before we get to that, let me talk to one more card that I thought that I think is criminally underdrafted. Um, and that card is Hex Drinker. Uh, maybe people figured it out eventually, but Hex Drinker became one of the top picks in every every green deck I I drafted. You know, every mono green deck or mostly green deck, I would I, I would yeah. highly pick the Hex Drinker because I discovered that when I played Hex Drinker. I leveled it up. I won those games. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a good reason to pick it. Hex Drinker wins yeah. games. Unlike the last cards, the three card I don't like so much. Sure, it's very strong, but it's not exciting me at all. Like, yeah. I don't know. Somehow it doesn't tickle my fancy. I definitely have a strong dislike for the card. <laughs> um, it was a card that back when Modern Horizons Limited was uh, on Magic Online were players who were putting Hex Drinker as the number one card in the set. That's above like Winds of Abandon, the like six mana Path to Exile Plague Wind thing. And uh, I mean, <laughs> that should speak volumes about the power level of the card. Uh, it kind of rivals Hexproof uh, with its protection in terms of like least fun mechanics. Yes. It's not It's not an auto win. You know, even Progenitus dies to Council's Judgment, as does Hex Drinker. Um, it dies to Wrath of God. It dies, you know, dies to Liliana Sack. And you do have to level it. You do have to invest into it. So it's, I think that it's balanced enough that if you, if you don't deal with it, yeah. you have to deal with it early. And if you're not capable of dealing with it early, then, you know, there's something going on with your deck and your draw that you need to consider for the next game. Yeah, I think it's a completely fine card in Vintage Cube. And it's uh, nice of you to note for the listeners that it, it is a high pick. Yeah. It does something like pretty different from um, a lot of what green is trying to do. Like green is trying to play cheap creatures early and then over the course of a few turns ramp into something big. But this is like something that hits for damage early and sort of has haste when it's big, right? Like it's just, <laughs> it's not like the other threats in green. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike the other cards that we harped on, like uh, Skyclave and Eternal Witness, Hex Drinker doesn't really scale with the set that it's in. Hex Drinker is pretty much always just yeah. Hex Drinker. So maybe that's yeah. why it doesn't quite tickle your fancy as those other cards. I think that's the reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you figured us out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, not opposed to it showing up in Vintage Cube. It's really just anywhere else that suddenly I start to think about, OK, well, turn three too early to concede? Like <laughs> The late addition to the change list was Mystic Confluence out, commit to memory in. And when I saw that happen, I got very sad because I love Mystic Confluence, but also it's fine. Um, but from the original change list, Agadim's Awakening as the as a flip land just never it's I'm glad that they put it in so that it could be tried, but yeah, after some, you know, forty drafts or however many I did, I didn't see a single person maybe put it in their deck. Maybe one person tried to put it in their deck and I was just like that card's not good in your deck. I don't know why that's in your deck. Yeah, I tried it in the beginning thinking, oh, the three life won't matter. I might cast this. Like, I paid three life sometimes and I never cast it and was sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe there is a way to make it work. I'm sure that there was a certain archetype of, you know, reanimator, maybe maybe a recurring nightmare deck no. or something. But If they would be still supporting the black aggressive one-top two-drop deck, then maybe it would do something. Because if you're getting back 
for five mana, two cards that impact the board, then it's maybe worth the inclusion. But otherwise, I don't think it's it's there. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks more to like the whole cycle. Like some of the cards in that cycle are quite nice, but it definitely felt like Wizards was thinking, okay, we just created this really awesome, unique mechanic in MDFCs. Let's put the cycle of the mythic ones into this cube. And, you know, maybe not all of them will be great here, but, um, you know, some of them, like, I think the green one is probably quite good. Totally. Um, I, think, I think the red one, maybe it's second best. I'm not sure. I don't have them ranked. Uh, but... I don't know. I think <laughs> I, I would put the white one over it, maybe. The, I have never seen the blue one. The blue one is in too, right? It is not in the cube. No, they did not. It's not in. Okay. All right. Well, I guess... Scratch what I said. They did not put the whole cycle in. What is I the guess, blue one, um, too? From what it, it draws you one card and then a card for each card in your hand, and you get an emblem with uh, you don't have to discard your hand size. Well, that card for seven. That card seems sweet. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm now wondering why it's not in there. Is it too good? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, they're like, nah, too good. <laughs> Maybe they just couldn't find any cuts in blue. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Um, when I think of Vintage Cube, I think of like the best limited format in terms of power level that there is. Um, would there be a card that's like too good for Vintage Cube? Like, would that even that even something you could create? Not really. No, I mean, <laughs> it's hard. It's but... hard to imagine. I mean, Oko's not too strong. Uh, I, Palace Jailer might be. You know, Palace Jailer is at the top of my list of like most powerful cards in general. I don't think it's necessarily too strong for vintage cube yeah no it's not but it's also not in the cube this time no they they took that one out i'm wondering um kyle how you would rate the jailer like compared to the skyclave uh thing oh interesting question i would i would still take ballast jailer but i would very much like to have both in my deck that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) for sure well i wouldn't (laughs) jailer can just i don't know like Maybe I will take it, put it in my sidebox, so nobody plays. Oh, do you, are you are you one of those <laughs> irrational? You you hate the card. Some people have like a hatred for the card, but they're like that card. Oh yeah, just, just f that card. <laughs> oh yeah, like no, it's the it's the monarch mechanic. In in one v one, I really dislike it. Um, that in Commander Legends, I think it played very nicely, like yeah. with multiple players and like allowing people to take it from you to help them out because you need to team up against somebody else. Stuff like that, that's kind of cool. In 1v1, it's I really hate it. And I've talked so much about it on the podcast. I, I don't go into it further. I think at Vintage Cube power level, it has a it, it, it can be there, and I don't mind too much, actually. I was more joking about it, but it's interesting they took it out. Kyle, do you want to, uh, let's see, maybe talk about uh, just how you feel about Vintage Cube in general. Um, like, is this just your absolute favorite format? Uh, and if so, like, what makes it that? Yeah, uh, I I think it is it is my absolute favorite format for for sure. Um, I've been playing Magic for uh, well since I was thirteen, and I'm I'm thirty three now, so for for twenty years. But for most of that time, I you know when I first started playing, I I was young and I was not very good. I wasn't really old enough to be smart enough to be good. Some people have that precociousness. I did not. Um, and it wasn't until I graduated from college that I started paying attention to to magic seriously. And there were there were a few magic streamers that were kind of 
known and big at the time. Um, I think the big three for me was Numat the Nummy, who's still going strong, obviously. Um, and I watched a lot of Numat. There was uh, Solabush. I'm not sure if you're familiar with with uh, Solabush One. Solabush One, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Crackshot knows Solabush One. Josh, I think his name is. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just uh, it's like you know, Twitch magic Twitch streamers like the the Godfather of like magic Twitch is Solabush One. Yeah, he was making he was making videos of. Um, MTGO gameplay before LSV started with it. So yeah, yeah, long time, long ago. time ago. Um, he's he actually streamed recently for the first time in something like five years. I did watch that, and I was like, okay, I know I'm at work right now, but I got to drop everything and watch Soul Push stream. <laughs> this is happening. Um, and then there was there was a uh, Jan, also known as DZY or DZYL Dizzle. Oh yeah, and Jan yeah. basically taught me. The ways of the cube. Yeah, and he drafts wild decks. I thought he only played Storm, but no, he, he has some other uh, decks he really likes. But I mean, okay. he really also liked um, stacks, but that is mostly gone, so that's not really a thing anymore. Right, no braids. Yeah, and then sometimes played something uh, like some mono brown decks. That's also mostly gone. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess only Storms left. Of those favorites. There's of his. two archetypes. There's Storm and then there's Failed Storm. <laughs> and Failed Storm yeah. is sometimes more fun than Storm. I'm sorry. To say. Actually, as when watching it, I think it's more fun. <laughs> like it's somehow he always makes it work. I don't know. It's great. I mean, I watched him uh, make a Storm deck where the only win condition was speaking of of new cards in the cube was it was an empty the warrants and normally an empty the warrants is not that exciting because you don't want to spend your whole deck storming out with empty the warrants only to have your opponent you know you know fling an emerkul at you in the air and kill you or uh or, or cast a rathagot <laughs> or a pyroclasm or any number of things that can happen when you pass the turn with a bunch of creatures in play in vintage cube but if you have a sling gang lieutenant in your deck if you have a slinglang <laughs> lieutenant in your storm deck for when you empty the warrens, then you just have to make you just have to storm for like eight, and you have enough goblins to kill them on the spot. It's amazing. It's just an eight mana tendrils. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tendril, it's a tendrils <laughs> of agony. It's like boom, there you go. And so Jan's approach to cube and his you know back in the days when he was he and I are around the same age and. We had, he, I think maybe he's a little younger and he was still in university and now he's a big shot, you know, entrepreneur with awesome, with an awesome, you know, Kubernetes startup. But I remember Jan when he just sat in the dark and smoked cigarettes and played cue ball, cue ball day. Kind of transitioning from what you said about Jan, what are uh, like your favorite decks to play in Vintage Cube? You know, it's it wasn't in my spell book, but Urza, uh, I often just feel... I feel a great sense of power when I have an Urza in my deck and I know I can draw it and cast it. And I just find that I win more games when I have Urza just waiting to come out and make all my like artifacts into mana rocks and start spinning off the top of my deck. And I get to start doing weird things with it, like blinking it with um, Caracas or, you know, that splash of that splash resto angel or, 
you know, venturing it back when your opponent tries to remove it, and you're just like, nah, uh, uh, not my Urza. Just gonna make, just gonna <laughs> make more golems. Just gonna do more things. So I, 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 I so what's your your best hit so far? Oh, the the best hit of the split. That's that's tough. What's my best hit? Ooh, I had a great, I had a great Urza deck this season where it it doesn't always come together where you want to put. Uh, is it Emery that little three drop that kind of oh yeah i i love that card but it's so hard to make work in vintage Cube. yeah it, it's it's a bit tricky you really do need the right the the right cards i think to make it work and i had the deck for it and so i had an emery in play and i had an urza in play and i had an academy in play and i had like quite a bit of mana going on because that's one of the things i like about the academy decks is how much mana they make and maybe i was facing Maybe I was facing the mirror, and it was a really tough game, and there was a lot of back and forth, and I I was definitely behind in the start of the game and was slowly working back, and I I like spun Urza. I think I had like exactly nine mana in play, and I spun Urza. I was like, well, you know, we gotta I gotta figure out a way to beat this Inkwell Leviathan because if I just pass if I just pass the turn, they're gonna attack you know, me, and I can't block the Inkwell, and I'm pro I'm just gonna lose. And I just spun and got lucky and hit my Mind Slaver right off the top oh yes cast my mind slaver <laughs> immediately activated it the opponent saw the writing on the wall saw that i had emery in play and was just like oh come on really <laughs> just scooped him up that was definitely my best hit of this cube season was that mind slaver hit makes sense when you first said um i guess when jacob said like the best hit thing i was like okay probably emrakul is like the best hit there is because you take an extra turn because it's still a cast um mm. Then I was thinking, like, the time you said Emery, it's like, well, that loops Mind Slaver really easily. And <laughs> I was actually thinking about that card by the time you got to it. Yeah. Was this deck also your uh, favorite deck that you drafted? And do you maybe have a screenshot for us that we can share? Uh, I, I do take screenshots, but I over I overwrite them every time. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. So, so you use, like, Snippy Pool, and it's like a... It doesn't save. I might be able to... Yeah, I just use a snipping tool and I don't save it because I don't like having clutter on my desktop. <laughs> so, so I just I just use it for uh, for that time. But I'm opening up Magic Online right now and I'm wondering if I can actually find the replay and take a screenshot of the the deck the uh, the board state. That'd be nice too. Um, let's see, you can also come back to that later. Either way. Um... I don't know. Uh, Jacob, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about or ask uh, about Vintage Cube? Yeah, so um, I think that's about it. There, no, there's one thing that I want to ask you before we, we finish this off. I felt like fair decks, fair interactive decks, like something that puts something on the board and then either tries to counter and or um, discard something from the opponent was quite a bit more... Uh, present this time around than in previous iterations. People played it more, and cast didn't go so late. Do you, did you also feel that, or am I imagining that? It's an interesting observation, and I agree with your observation. I think that the card changes they made, you know, the addition of cards like um, Skyclave Apparition, yep. like Hex Drinker. Putting guys back in. Like, you know, yeah, like Geist of St. Traft. Um, the, the relative strength of, of Mono White, which I, I think that if I were at the mocks, that would be... I mean, I, I believe in drafting what's open, but if Mono White was open, I'd be very happy 
because I think that it's probably it's yep. it's like the winningest archetype if it's open um, in vintage cube. So so I agree. I, I agree. I think that the cards that just put things on the on the board and attacked with them and did stuff with them was stronger in this iteration of vintage cube than typical. And and that was that's fine. It it's it doesn't mean that like people couldn't channel Emrakul U. They totally could. It was oh there all those all those sweet busted strategies were still there. It's just that it didn't feel like every single game was a tinker game, was a channel game, was a uh, you know some ridiculous yeah. over the top thing that made the game over in just you know two or three turns. And I I, I appreciated that. Me too. I would say this was the best version of the Vintage Cube they had yet. High praise. High praise. Um, oh. <clears throat> if we, um, yeah, if we were going to talk about some of the moto issues that uh, we've had, I know, Kyle, you said that you had a background in some kind of programming, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, so so um, I, my day job is as a software developer and um, software team lead at a product company in here in New Zealand where I live. I'm American, but I live in New Zealand which is why I might weirdly say things like when I go out with my friends later uh, or something, things that most people don't get to do these days. We do get to do them in New Zealand, very lucky, um, because of nice. the fact that, you know, being an isolated nation that tackled the COVID problem very early means that we get the benefit in the current climate. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, little shout out to New Zealand. Go that's New great. Zealand. <laughs> great. New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, the point is that I'm a software developer, and I feel like that Magic the Gathering has some user experience and user interface issues that are kind of easy, in my mind, easy to solve. Uh, in, in And they solve them in the way that they tried to solve them did not necessarily solve the problem or introduce new problems. Um, you're probably going to talk about the Commander Legends later, but the whole... Yeah, the whole right-clicking to set stops so that the players have stops thing, introducing more clicks, uh, more screens, more menus, more little fiddly buttons. Yes, we're we're all agreed. Everyone's agreed. It's not good. <laughs> yes, it is not. <laughs> no, but but it's not only that it's introduced more clicks and makes it more clunky, but also it introduced bugs as well, which is sad. Like right. <clears throat> it. I saw like the Oracle, another streamer we've we've talked about some episodes ago that I watch a lot, and he wanted to like he was playing Vintage Cube, and normally he doesn't have a, a stop set in upkeeps. And two times I saw that he um, right clicked in the turn order to set a stop, but instead of just setting a stop, it also auto passed priority until there, which is <laughs> <laughs> not great. <Really? laughs> hmm. Yeah, that happened twice. So yeah, but I think it's fixed now. I'm more forgiving of of bugs personally than I. I mean, I mean I'm all I'm also forgiving. Like they fixed it relatively soon, but yeah, um, the latest update was more messy than we're used to. Like it was pretty smooth sailing for a while. Yes, and yes, it is a pretty good program, and I think it got better recently. Yes. So this it was. I think the last week was a bit tumultuous for them. One thing that I, I wish I could have said to um, kind of start this conversation off is I think the magic playing community is like hypercritical, uh, almost to the point that they like love to complain. Like I think they really, uh, so many people enjoy nitpicking and find so many things to criticize. 
Um, and I want to be clear that that's not what we're trying to do. And it's more that um, I think like, you know, clearly this is a podcast mostly about Magic Online. We play a client that is known for having issues. So why are we talking about the issues? Well, it's because I think they've been more impactful recently. I think more people are talking about them. Like just merely the fact that, yeah, with the Commander Legends update, a lot of people couldn't even install the client or update the client. And <laughs> um, they had to go through these convoluted workarounds just to be able to play the game. <laughs> yeah, count me as one of those people. <laughs> right. I just had to wait for half a day and then it worked. I was too lazy I got for the really workarounds. Um, yeah. So I guess, again, to go back to the idea of people complaining just to complain, like we had the whole deal with new arts. Um, and Oh, get over it. You know, get over the new arts. Stop whining about the arts. <laughs> it says the name of the card on the card. It has all the text. You can read it. Get used to it. Yeah. As someone who does a lot of chaos draft, I'm used to reading as many words as I can in a pretty small amount of time on Magic Online. So uh, reading card names, that's pretty simple. <laughs> so yeah, I think the arts, like, yes, it's an inconvenience, but in, think about the person whose job it is to update Magic Online with the new arts. Think about the person whose job it is to create the new arts. Like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they got to see the light of day? Um, totally. The place where like, you know, most of the people who use those cards in that format, like... Let's enjoy the new arts. People worked hard on those arts. Like, they're cool. You know, they're not, they don't have to be there forever. The backlash, I thought the backlash was undeserved. Well, I, I just want to reiterate that I don't mind bugs. Bugs bugs are bugs are a fact of life. Sometimes obviously the last update, lots of bugs, too many bugs, there's a quality control issue there. They should have some kind of integration test that, you know, uh, does an end-to-end -end test with certain features of the client, for example, the attack all button. If the button is gone, there should be an automated test in their software that detects that that action can't be taken. And it would fail the test, and they would be like, oh, there's a bug here. The fact that it that it's not detected until it's deployed and then played by users is 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 not a good sign that um, that there's like robust uh, automated testing, uh, you know, behind the scenes. What, but what, so, so it's that, that kind of thing that, that actually irks me, not the fact that it's gone, it's the fact that it wouldn't be caught. Um, and it's, it's certain things like, like I love the Magic Online client. Um, you know, people, uh, Arena's cool. Uh, I don't want to shit on Arena, but I really prefer to play on Moto. And I love the input, the input settings, the fact that you can create your own shortcuts and, and hotkeys for the, for the many different game actions you can take. For someone, it's it's a really good user experience, especially for people that might have like physical disabilities. Th anything that that sort of reduces the amount of clicking and toil uh, and 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 moving your mouse around the screen is a positive step in the direction for for people with certain disabilities. And um, I don't I don't suffer from anything along those lines, but I do get like wrist and shoulder pain. Uh, so, so not having to use my mouse as much is a great asset to the Moto client that the Arena client, unfortunately, does not does not have. So, I, I think it's it's those kinds of things that make the client great. It's the it's the added functionality. It's the added customizability. Um, it's the fact that you know you can see everything at once, and there's not a lot of uh, 
you know, blinking and lights and animation that can make some people, you know, feel ill or dizzy. Um, yeah, it's most of the client time very clear on what is going on. And if that is not, then it has a game log, which Arena does not have. Yeah, but yeah. there are certain aspects of the of the user experience that really just need they need a designer. I'm sure that there are designers who work there, but like confirmation boxes and dialogue boxes need a unified approach that is predictable. It shouldn't be a guessing game as to where is the yes button going to be this time, or is it going to be a <laughs> Or is it going to be an OK button instead of a Yes button? Or is there going to be a Cancel button? Or can you control Z? Or how would I know if you can control Z? It's those sorts of like user experiences that, that in my opinion, really, if they were ironed out, would make Magic the Gathering Online uh, a super superior client that's a great, I don't want to say re replacement for, for Paper Magic. It's just, just a you know, that mirrors paper magic in a way that makes it feel like you're really playing magic, which is what it does best, in my opinion. Wow, that was a really, like, excellent way to frame it. I've never thought about um, online clients from the perspective of people who are differently abled or yeah, um, even just the perspective of people who have pain, like you said, uh, you do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I really, I really liked hearing that. Yeah, well, it's super important. Yeah. Maybe maybe we shouldn't have talked about Vintage Cube so much and just called, talked about the design of Magic Online. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, it would have been worth worth a podcast, I think. Well, we can still come back to that in future episodes too. Future podcasts. Get a get a product designer. Get a software designer to come up with uh, yeah. top top five improvements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a little. All right. Great. So then uh, we will be heading on to Commander Legends. But we thank you for coming on. Check yeah, out Kyle's uh, channel. We will link it. It's on Twitch at snow underscore Schwarz. The C and a Z. Yeah. You, you, how, how do you say that the German way? Schwarz. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's so satisfying to hear it say Schwarz. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. See you around. Uh, I will see you on your channel. I love to watch. So bye-bye. See you in the queues. Bye. So let's go shortly over uh, Commander Legends. So I have played just one draft and two of the games, but I say just because it actually does take quite a while. I started yesterday at around seven and I was done with my second match at, I don't know, around 11. So it was easily four hours of just drafting in two games. And yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. It really reminded me of playing commander on magic online so that comes with all the nice things you get there but also all the disadvantages so the drafting portion that was the most fun i think but also the part where i made the most mistakes because this format is not easy to draft so you need to get your commander you cannot play cards that are not in your color identity you have a lot of new cards that maybe you have not seen before if you didn't read the spoiler in detail. And you really want to have a good commander working for you. And that makes it really hard to just practice your good limited skills. Just these restrictions uh, go against trying to stay open and seeing what other people are doing. Because like you, you can't just take, oh, if there's a very strong card, 
I will take it and maybe splash it. And then later you see, oh, there's more cards in that color. And now I will switch to that color. Because if you are not lucky to get one of the three color commanders, you're most likely playing one or two colors, most likely two, which I mean, there's this fail safe of um, having like a five mana three, three that you can play as your commander. And it has um, partners. You can even play two of them. So you will always have a, the possibility to have a two color deck with two commanders. So that is not a worry. But while you're drafting, you want to have a good commander. And I started my pick, uh, well, my, my, my draft with a pick one, pack one, blue, green commander, uncommon commander, but I think a pretty strong card. And then I just took green cards, blue cards here and there. And then, yeah, yeah then you see a good white card. So what are you doing at that point? If you're taking that white card, it's either abandoning that pick or your commander and all the cards from one color, probably. That's really hard to do. And it's, um, I'm not saying that it makes the format terrible, but it's very challenging. And um, yeah, it's just different. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. I think you can really grow in this format, but you need to bring some time because the, the packs are made of 20 cards and you have four minutes and 30 for your pick one, pack one. And some people are using that time. Like my draft went relatively quickly, I think. But a friend of ours said that he had a 40-minute draft, which is a long time for a draft on Magic Online. Yeah. So I wanted to start. There's a lot to respond to in what you said there. Uh, I wanted to start by saying, um, just from some of the things you were outlining, it sounds to me like really no matter who you are, short of being a Magic designer yourself, it's going to be an overwhelming like dive into this format. You're going to be looking at 20 card packs. You're going to be playing a format that has never previously been played or even yeah. conceived of necessarily. Like this is something totally different, totally new. So many new cards, uh, tons of commander players trying limited for the first time, tons of limited players trying commander for the first time. Um, just a hugely like novel experience. And so I do think that the four minute, 30 second timer makes sense to account for that. Um, I agree. On the other hand, like, I do think it's a bit overkill. Uh, like, I think that, I don't know, maybe the actual number is a little too high. I'm not totally sure how it works, but if you can end up with a 40-minute draft, I'm not really sure I would call that a successful experience. Uh, yeah, it is, it, I can understand the struggle, though. Like, you're in between wanting to give people the time to figure it out, but also you, like, you figure stuff out over iterations of trying it again, I think. And... Yeah. It's not like you are looking at the pack, staring at it for four minutes and 30, and then having figured it out. And if the whole draft, like, let's say I will finish my last game in uh, an hour and 30 or something, and then I spent like five hours and 30 on the whole league, which is like crazy much. Like, how often am I going to repeat this process? It's up for a long time, but it's a crazy investment, and it, you learn slower i guess than in other formats because the games take longer so one thing that i think i misunderstood um this was some number of weeks ago i was under the impression that you played one game and that was it like the one game was simultaneously also one match and one league like you drafted your deck you played and that was it and it seems like that was a misunderstanding or they changed it last minute i'm not sure yeah i think i must i must have misunderstood um so out of curiosity, are you planning to play your third game with the deck you drafted? Oh, yeah, I think I will. Like yesterday evening, I thought I maybe won't because it all took so long and I was getting a little bit tired and uh, my deck is not very good. 
but the interaction with the people was actually very nice. Like, um, because the way that, like, you need to pay to draft this. And I drafted Phantom, and after the game, the winner gets one point awarded. It's said, like, the point is called a vote, but also every player votes for somebody who's their favorite opponent. And that's the way you get back prizes, like play points or whatever. I thought that's how you prom king or whatever. Just yes, <laughs> yes. Like it felt a lot like that. I mean, we didn't do anything like that in our school, but so, like in school, like everything where somebody needs to be selected or voted is like a popularity contest somehow, and it reminded me a little bit of that. And Will of the council. Each player chooses their favorite player. That player enters another draft for free. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, like it did to this this voting system did two things. Um, it made people try to be nice to each other and made people chat a lot. And I kind of like that. I do like chatting with people in client. And yeah, it, it was kind of fun. And the people were were nice. And the the deals that were struck were not too like striking deals, I'm not a biggest fan of, but they were not too crazy, and it was all pretty good actually. But nobody's saying if you don't kill me, then I'll vote for you. That kind of <laughs> that thing did not show up, but I bet it will show up in some games. Yeah, it's like, hard to imagine. That is a real feel bad, right? Like, I mean, I know people who just don't interact with the chat box on the Magic Online client because they've just had I think they... experiences with it being toxic. So, like. They will have to pay for other people, I think. You will not get points if you don't chat, I think. Right. Uh, but the other side of that is, like, those toxic people who are, like, discouraging uh, the first kind of people from using the chat box are probably the same people who will, like, private message someone and try to make a possibly not allowed bargain with them. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I really also don't know how it works. But in general, like, with the people I played with, I had, had a good experience. But after my first game, and I think I was nice to everybody, and I did not win the game, and I didn't do anything broken or anything, I received zero votes. And Such a feel bad. Like, it is a real feels bad. And I don't know, like, it's understandable, though, because in, in that game, everybody was nice, and uh, the guy who won had a pretty cool, cohesive deck, even though that the card that he finished us with, Chroma's Will, he had two of those. Um, the card is kind of broken, but, I mean, you're not going to play not going to not play the good cards and like it was pretty in good faith and many people voted for him and then guys voted for another guy who also had a cool deck my deck kind of sucked and another guy's deck also kind of sucked and uh, but everybody was nice so you just vote for the people who played nicer decks and the one of them won so it ended up with a three two zero zero even though nobody behaved badly or anything and but if you get zero votes you just feel bad i don't know it's just <laughs> Like, here's the thing, like, you feel bad when you lose, right? Um, like, oh, yeah, people I did lose. But, like, if you feel bad when you lose, you can say, okay, my deck wasn't very good, whatever. Like, maybe I misplayed, maybe I didn't draw very well. Whatever it is that you attribute that to, right? But if you, if nobody votes for you, that's so much more personal. And that's, <laughs> yes. you, right? That's not your deck. Yeah. That's not, like, how do you, and, like, you know, I'm going to... Say, I think you are one of the politest players on Magic Online. I think you are just like a stand-up guy, and I'm imagining but the other people were too. So, like, who? Are, but like when they I can't split the vote, 
If I'm, if I'm not that kind of person, if I'm just a total jerk and I'm playing this client and I try to be nice to people during the game because I know how the voting thing works and then nobody votes for me, aren't I going to rage? Like, aren't I just going to send <laughs> messages like to all the people who like, I can't believe you didn't vote for me. Blah, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could happen. I, I can't really see it going wrong. And I don't know. It, yeah, it feels, it feels weird. And also, it's, it also feels weird that you said, like, before we, we started recording, you can win the game and people not vote for you. Also, obviously, like, I don't know. It's a bit weird. It did really force people to interact, I guess. That is nice. But, um, yeah. And another point is, we talked about that um, shortly, too, not on the recording, that the whole new system of priority and everything, most people, or the people I played with and I, didn't use these changes at all. Like, you're just trying to be done with your turn and F6, and then you are trying to warn people ahead of time if during your turn they need to react to you, just so to get the game over a little bit quicker. Because if two, four people are holding up um, a relatively unimportant instant, or in my opinion, I think that's the card that's probably the most problematic in the format, is Mindless Automaton. It's a card I really like, and I had it in my deck. It's an, an artifact for, for artifact creature for four mana. Zero, zero comes into play with two plus one plus one counters. It has the activated ability of, among, other, among another one, but the activated ability of removing two plus one plus one counters to draw a card. So you don't need uh, to hold up mana, yeah. and you always need to be afraid of somebody killing it because it's an artifact sometimes, or if they, if they have a play Wrath or whatever, it's relatively small. It dies even to pyroclasm effects or something like that. So technically... You always need to respond to everything, but that slows down the game to such a grind that people will not like it. So you just F6 and hope that people are nice enough to tell you. And in my games, that worked. But this whole overhaul of the priority system just for this product, and now everybody's F6ing to get votes in the end to not be the slowest player that annoyed everyone. It's just, I don't know. So we're going to make the client help you play slower. We're going to have a format that encourages you to play faster. And then if you play, <laughs> if you play the format and you play it the fastest with the slow system, then you like get rewarded as if you would have won, but you're not actually necessarily trying to win. <laughs> yep. Just <laughs> sums it up. It's a bit complicated. So I, I think again it's important to focus on um, what we like about this. And I I do really like the idea. I think it's a great concept. As someone who's played um, a fair share of like multiplayer commander on Magic Online, um, I would join games and, you know, sometimes five minutes into a game, someone would leave. It would be like, oh, gotta go, bye. <laughs> like, nothing personal. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it would be personal. Sometimes it's like, you attacked me first, I'm done. I don't want to play this, yeah. you know. <laughs> Maybe not the most mature people playing that game. Um, the point is, like, people are encouraged to stick around, which is important, I think. And it's also, like, encouraging people to be friendly, which I think is a super important thing on a digital client. Like, on virtual platforms, people are more likely to be rude to each other, right? So encouraging them to be friendly, like, is a great idea. Um, yeah. So it's the execution that, yeah. I think that a lot of this can be... Like, the field bet can be eliminated pretty easily. You don't need to tell people how many votes they got. Like, you could change the system in a way that everybody gets a pretty base 
like like it's a friendly league so you always get something back and only the winner gets a little bit more and then you only announce the winner so I... if, if one guy wins and i don't know that i got zero votes then i'm immediately feeling better yeah, i totally agree i think like saying you got zero and it's not like again you just lost it's like nobody voted for you <laughs> like yeah, nobody liked you you don't have any friends <laughs> they all right. they all were just nice to you to get your vote and like you say it in <laughs> jet right but like really like i don't know <laughs> if you if you personally are not very secure with, with right. yourself then it I think it's I mean, really this good. is a kid's game. How many kids are super confident and super secure and they just feel like, you know, nobody could vote for me. I could play 10 games and get zero votes every time. I would still feel great. Like, I don't think that almost anyone could feel great after no that. No way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think only the winner should be announced. I think you should get something back no matter what. Um, I think, I think, I think you probably be- also do get something back, but just seeing you get no votes is the, the, the problem. You don't need to see that. Yeah. There's no benefit from seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess that's pretty much it for the the voting system. I don't know. I hope they get rid of it. <laughs> no, I think uh, the voting system is good. Just don't shove in people's faces if they don't get votes. That is the main main issue. I think that yeah, yeah. encouraging people to play fast is generally a good thing. If you're spewing a little bit of of equity for winning the game with it, I think that's fine. And if somebody wants to play slow and then not get whatever, that's all. Not the big deal. The big deal is feeling bad because you didn't get votes, even though you did nothing wrong. Right. And that just happens. Like, but it makes you not happy. And it, I think it will push people away from the format if it continues. And I, I think I will really, I will write them um, a, a letter or like an email about this, just because it doesn't do anybody good like this. I think you're totally right to do that. And I think, I don't know, they would be unwise not to listen. Um, and I guess kind of adding that to one theme that I mentioned sort of at the beginning, which is it's going to be overwhelming to so many people to get into this format, but it's also like, it takes so much to want to stay in and continue to play this from what I understand. Like I saw Numa do this. He drafted a deck. He played one game. It was over an hour, whatever. Then he just dropped like, which doesn't even make sense, right? Because he didn't immediately run it back and play a new deck. He was like, okay, I'm done. Like not even allowing myself the chance to return to this, I don't want to play it again. Um, like, yeah, that's. I think that's going to happen a fair amount. Um, and maybe again, it would be better if uh, it was just the one game, like I was initially thinking. Maybe not. Um, but the point is, like, again, let's think about all that you're requiring. You're requiring people to want to play on Magic Online, which is already a lot for you know a lot of Magic players who love Arena and don't want to touch Magic Online. Um, you're requiring them to want to play multiplayer games of Commander, which narrows down um, like your player base significantly as well. You're requiring them to want to play limited, but it's like not even limited, like because of what you were saying about like signal reading. Like how do you read a signal if you're already committed to certain commanders, right? Yeah, um, it's a new challenge, but right. not everybody's always up for a new challenge. Yeah, um, I don't know. To me like this, I think there will be a number of people who love this. And I think one of the things those people will recognize is that you don't play this to <laughs> get good EV. You play this because you want to play social games um, during quarantine. And this is a nice way to uh, spend time. And maybe you have the play points or whatever lying around to do it. Uh, but I don't think 
applies to too many people. So, you know, I think that I think we're actually transitioning from Vintage Cube, which I think might be the most popular, at least limited event on Magic Online, to potentially one of the least popular. Um, yeah, it it really might be. Um, though it it I like after after the fact, I think it has some things going for it, and I'm really planning to buy this product and paper to play it with some friends of mine. Um, I think you're just taking the time, sitting down, chatting also while doing the drafting and maybe helping each other out with even while drafting, like not taking things seriously. I think that is a great product for that. And yeah, they also got a, a few interesting cards, but I think we, we shouldn't go over over the, the cards today. I think we keep that for, for another episode. I think that's wise. Um, and yeah, I agree with what you said too. I think that some of the card designs are excellent, really cool stuff for a lot of cubes, even just cool stuff for Commander in general. And yeah, I think... And it's a it's a cool way to make Commander cards available for people. I like it so much more than uh, printing decks, selling them as one, people disassembling them, selling them as, less, uh, as single cards from these decks and everything like that. I don't know, that, that always felt super unmagic to me and <laughs> this really feels magic like it's a set you draft it you get the cards and you have a distribution the, the commons are really much more common than the rares which was not always the case in these other products right. yeah. yeah i mean rarity is arbitrary if you buy uh like a hundred card deck and there's yeah. one of everything oh, yeah for basics of course so um, yeah this really feels magic and if you like multiplayer on magic online played that before Go for it. Play it. I'm going to try it. Um, I hope I don't get zero votes. Now I'm a little bit worried about that, but I will try it, to... <laughs> you shouldn't be worried about it. Like, it's completely out of your control. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I don't know. If you draft a very cute deck and are nice to people, I guess you get... That's your best chance of, of swaying them, but yeah. Well, right. Well, I think that's probably about it for this time. This time, I think we went pretty long. Um... And yeah, I don't know. Is there anything, last thoughts you wanted to add? Yeah, just come to our Discord, join our community. Um, we'll be hosting a, a draft tomorrow if we find enough people, but also like regularly over the next weeks, most likely on the weekends. And yeah, if we find enough people from New Zealand time zones, like Asia Pacific time zones, maybe we can for the first time host something that uh, suits this time zone. It would be nice. It would be very nice. Also, something nice to note, we've had a few people, especially uh, during the Vintage Cube season, do some uh, streaming like within the Discord, <laughs> kind of turning it into its own little Twitch channel, which I think is pretty nice. Um, it allows people who wouldn't normally stream but are kind of uh, thinking that, oh, you know, I might give it a try, um, like a pretty easy way to start out, which I think is great. Yeah, so if you want to discuss your draft decks, the recent format, or if you want to talk about the design of your own cubes, there's always people that are willing to give you feedback. And we're not the biggest community, but a lot of great, very active people. So it's very nice. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, if you try Commander Legends, let us know what you think. We hope you will enjoy it. Happy and voting, I guess. <laughs> happy voting. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.